I'm going to share out of 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, if you would like to turn to that in your Bibles. If you have it, it'll be on screen. If not, but I always like to have a Bible in my hands if possible. If you need one, let us know and we'll get you one. But it is on the screen. Many of you know that I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, my dad, C.J. Williams, uh, some of you know him, guy about this tall, some of you knew him as Zach Kiss. But uh, I remember growing up in his home uh, as a PK, as a preacher's kid, maybe some of you were as well. But oftentimes my parents would tell me to remember who I was, remember whose I was. And I always thought it was because, well, my dad's a pastor, you know, and he doesn't want me to embarrass him. And, uh, but, and that may have been some of it. But as time went on, I came to realize that he was telling me some really important truths to help me live right, to do the things I should and not do the things I shouldn't. And I think that's kind of what Peter is doing with this church of these dispersed believers. Uh, many of you know First Peter is written to a book of believers who had been dispersed by the persecution. And they had given up, they had given up home and family and career Everything that you and I hold to and love that God has given us, they basically lost it because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were just dispersed all over. And Peter in this book is trying to encourage them in their suffering. A lot of suffering in First Peter that, that he deals with. But he also deals with how you and I, as God's children, should live. In fact, that's really about the last half of First Peter, he is giving truth, but he is also saying now, because this is true, you need to live a way that reflects that truth, okay? And that's kind of what I want to share with you in my text this morning, just a word of encouragement. Uh, I really hope that if you're a child of God, that this will just really encourage you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think God wants us to walk around with our head down in despair, you know, I think he wants us to understand who we are in Christ and that we should live a life that reflects that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Uh, yes, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, uh, reminding us that we are who we are by the grace of God, that yes, we are broken people, and I'll never, uh, I'll never fight with anyone about that. That is the truth. We are broken people, and except for the grace of God, we would be hopeless, but... The grace of God does not leave you in despair. The grace of God doesn't leave you with you hanging your head down. The grace of God tells you who you are now because you were broken and you have experienced the grace of God. You know, Justin made a really good comment about if you're Christian, about being humble. And that is so true because in Christianity there's these truths that seem so opposite but yet they're true for us. You know, it, it's true that we are broken people. It is true that except by the grace of God, we would be hopeless and helpless. And, and that is the truth that you and I should remind ourselves of. But then there's this other truth about who we are in Christ. And, and that should kind of lift us up, not, not because we're so wonderful, but because the grace of God is so wonderful. So there's this this battle, I guess you could say, going on in the life of a child of God. Uh, and, and we need to be real careful that we don't get hung up where we just walk around in despair all the time. We're broken, you know, really God can't use us for much and, and so forth. We need to also remember, hey, 
The grace of God has done a transforming work in my life. In fact, it calls us a new creation. And Peter uses a lot of words to tell us who we are now because of the grace of God. And I don't want to get away from the fact that what I'm going to share with you this morning is because of the grace of God. Okay, It's not because we're such wonderful people. It's because of the grace of God. Okay, So my text is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, just two verses, and I'm going to give you a little context too, so there'll be a few more verses. If, if you would like to stand, you may. Uh, if you're more comfortable sitting, uh, that's fine as well. But I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And you notice it starts with but. Uh, if you've ever been in my Bible study, I drive it into the minds and hearts of people. When you see that word, that's a good Bible study word, okay? That word but. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's bow. Lord God, thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you, God, that through the scriptures and by your spirit, you seek us out. As, as lost people in, in darkness and blind to truth, and in your love, your steadfast love, you seek us out by your spirit and by your word, and you, you help us believe, you give us faith, God, that we might hear the truth of Jesus and trust him. But God, I thank you that your grace doesn't end there. Your grace just continues to do a sanctifying work in us, changing us and transforming us and and daily by your grace, making us more into the image of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning this text that we're going to consider and, and the other scriptures that you might just use that to encourage us in our walk for those who are your children, for those who are not, that they just might see the love you have for your children. And God, that they might hear your call today and bring honor and glory to you by saying yes to Christ. So thank you for loving us. Thank you for this gathering today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to just give you a, a little bit of context real quick just to kind of get us through these two verses here. But if you were to go back and start at verse 1 and read through there, he would start saying first some truths about you that, that you, you're now a temple, uh, that God, you know, you're a living stone and, and you've been built up into this temple and and you're able to make uh, uh, sac spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he talked about Jesus, how he laid him as Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen, precious. And then he says in verse 6, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Then verse 7, and I think that's on the screen if you don't have your Bible open. Verse 7 says, So the honor is for those of you who believe. The honor is for those of you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they do not disobey the word as they were destined to do. 
Okay? And then he uses that word that I, I really do. I probably drive people nuts with that word. That word, but. That is a contrasting word. That tells us something that you have just heard, something that God has just spoken to you through his scriptures. He says, now, but, now here is the contrast. Here is the difference, all right? And he talked in verses 7 and 8, he talked about those who believe would be honored or have this honor, and those who did not believe, they were those who were disobedient to the word. In other words, they did not trust the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying to you, the first thing that I believe Peter is saying to us this morning out of these two verses, he's saying, listen, you are a believer, if you are a child of God, if you have been born again, you have been filled with the Spirit of God, all those things that are bearing fruit in your life because God has sought you out and called you to himself, there is a difference between you and those who are unbelievers. There is this line which is clearly drawn, if I can say drawn in the sand. And that's what that little word but does, okay? But says on this side are those who do not believe, those who are disobedient. But if you are a believer, you are on this side, all right? So he makes a very clear distinction between the two groups that he is speaking to, okay? And really, that is a very important distinction, all right? We could, believe it or not, we could spend a whole lot of time right here on just this phrase where he said, but making this contrast, okay? Because really, that is the most important question that any of us will ever answer in life. You know, which side of this contrast are we on? Are we on this side that really has not believed who Jesus Christ is? And in our unbelief and disobedience to Him, we have rejected Him? Or are we on this side that God in His grace has called us to Himself? And now He, by His grace, is doing a work in you. Which side of that but are you on? Okay, that's where it starts. And if you're a believer, then he goes on in our text and he makes some marvelous statements about us. Now, I'm not saying to you this morning that if you're a child of God, you're never going to have trials, you're never going to have temptations, you're never going to have pains, you're never going to have struggles in life, you're never not going to have a meal on your... I'm not saying any of that, okay? Who's he talking to? Dispersed Christians. People he calls aliens and strangers, okay? That's who he's talking to. And if you would look after our text, you would see that that's exactly what he says to them. Listen, you're going to have struggles. You're going to war against the passions of your flesh. You're going to war against the world. You're going to war against Satan, all right? But in the midst of that, now here's some truths that I want to speak to you to encourage you in this battle, to encourage you in this walk, to remember who you are. Because I guarantee you, if all you do is walk through your Christian life with your head hung down, you're going to lose a whole lot of battles. A whole lot. Okay? You're going to 
you're going to lose the battle of having Christian friends. You really will because you'll never be in putting your life into the lives of others and you probably will not be open to other people in their lives into you. You're just going to lose battle after battle if you're a Christian that goes around constantly with his head hung down saying, oh, woe is me. You know, oh, woe is me. Hey, yeah, oh, woe is you. We are broken. But hey, the grace of God has come in and he has changed us, okay? He has transformed us and he is still transforming us because none of us are perfect right now. But are, what are we? The first thing he says to us, we are a believer, but... Which side are you on? Okay, so I'm speaking to believers. Let's see what he says about us. He says, preparing us for this walk in life, he says, first, you are a chosen race. Okay, dear child of God, you are a chosen race. Now, he is speaking to Jews and he is speaking to Gentiles. Now, Jews, they would immediately, maybe not these Christian Jews, but most Jews, when they would hear something like that, their mind would immediately go to Abraham and to Israel, right? I mean, God told them that they were his chosen people. They were his chosen race. But the text is not speaking just to Jews. The text is speaking to Jew and Gentile, which most of us in this place are. And he is saying to us, as a chosen race, we are commonly related to one another. Not through the bloodline of Abraham that the Jews like to brag about, but we are, have this common relationship which is through the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read some scriptures just to show that to you real quick. Okay, over in Galatians chapter 3, verses uh, 25 through 29. Let's see what he says here. And he's, he's, been, he's been talking about the law, okay? And now he changes to the promise, all right? The Jews, of course, they considered themselves under the law if they were not believers. But now he comes to the promise. He says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all, excuse me, all one in Christ Jesus. Now listen to what he says in the next verse. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All right? Because... Now, yes, it's not the bloodline of Abraham, but it's the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who have placed their faith in Jesus, that group makes up a chosen race. Okay? Today, if you're a child of God, God has saved you. You are part of this group. You are a part of the chosen race. Race. All right, the emphasis, by the way, and if you know me very well, and I've said this probably a thousand times, I'm not a Greek scholar, okay? But I've got books like you have, and I can read and, and see what people who's a whole lot smarter than me say about stuff like this. But he says, actually, in this phrase, uh, chosen race, the emphasis is upon the race, not the chosen. That you and I who are believers, we are in a relationship that we call the family of God. We are brothers and sisters 
because God has chosen us in Christ Jesus. We are the elect offspring of Christ. Just think about that. Just think about who you are in Christ. In Christ, you are part of this chosen race. And it's not because, like I said earlier, it's not because we're all so wonderful. And it's certainly not because we deserve God loving us. It's just like God told Israel back in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Let's see what he said to them back there. He said, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay, so that's really clear, isn't it? That God chose that race, not because they were so marvelous and not because they deserved it, but simply because God loved them. Now let's see what the New Testament says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. He says, even as he chose us, plural, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will. All right? So however you feel about God's election, I I know there are different views and so forth. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But there's one thing I do know about this term chosen in election. It is not because we deserve it. It's not because of our value or our worth It is simply that those who are in God's chosen people, this chosen race, is because he has set his love upon us. And we especially see that, don't we, in the cross, when Jesus Christ went to the cross. So we need to remember this, number one, this responsibility that we have, this uh, privilege that we have, that we are chosen people, and with this privilege, comes responsibility just like it did with the people of Israel. Israel was to be a blessing to the nations and to make his name known throughout the nations. That's what they were supposed to do as God's chosen people. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you and I both know that they kept drifting off into idolatry and God would have to chastise them and correct them and they would come back. And of course, then you know the new covenant came, which thank God you and I live under. But early believers in us, man, we may be rejected by man because these believers were, they were rejected by man. But always remember, you are chosen by God. Whatever you think of that term chosen, I know this, it's because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's why you as a child of God can say, man, I belong to that race of people that is God's people. It has nothing to do with the color of our skin or who we was born by except by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a part of that race. Okay? What else does he say about us? He says we are a royal priesthood. All right? Now, it's interesting in that as we look at that word royal 
That doesn't mean that we are royalty, all right? Doesn't mean like we get to strut around in a, with a crown on our head or anything because actually that word is an adjective. That word rural is an adjective which describes the ministry we have as a priest in the kingdom of God's work. It adds to this dimension that we're talking about that there is a king whom we serve and there is a kingdom in which we serve in. All right? So we have this service. I like, I like Revelations chapter 1 uh, as I was thinking about that. In verses 5 through 6, he said this about that, if I can find it. I'll tell you. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. See, See what John saw in the Revelation? He saw a Savior that had brought about a group of people in the kingdom of God which were priests unto the Father. Now let's look, let's look back at verse 5 in 2 Peter, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll tell you what, I need to get bigger Bible, bigger letters. All right, verse 5. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay? So Peter, before he really got down to our text today, he had already made a statement about this spiritual priesthood, this rural priesthood that you and I are part of. And one of the things he says, we serve in this ministry because through Christ, we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. All right? So we need to ask ourselves, what, what are spiritual sacrifices? What, what is it that you and I who profess to know Jesus Christ, what is it that we are supposed to be lifting up to Him? Let me just share a few, and you can probably think of more, okay? And again, this is only through Christ that this is possible, okay? One of the things, Hebrews 13, we're not going to read these. Hebrews 13, 15 says, the praise of our lips. He says, the praise of our lips are a spiritual sacrifice to the Father, something we put on the altar of sacrifice to the Father. Another thing he said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, is our life, is our bodies. Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices unto God, which is your reasonable service, your reasonable worship. Okay? So, so we present our life as a spiritual sacrifice to the Father. Hebrews 13, 16, good works. You know, we get in a lot of discussions about good works on Monday nights, and it's a good thing. But good works, when, when we do good works because of the grace of God at work within us, like, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 13, uh, he, he worked harder than any of them, but it wasn't himself. It was the grace of God at work in him. Okay? So when we are serving the Lord like that, the good works we do is actually a spiritual sacrifice unto the Father. Also, this is an interesting, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. You've got to read through that. But our money and material stuff that God has entrusted to us, 
When we use that in a way that God calls us to use that, guess what? That's a spiritual sacrifice. Some of you today, when you gave your offering and you gave it with a heart of submission to the Father and you understood you're giving that because you're a child of the King and He is worthy of your offering, you were making a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. has a lot to do with our hearts though, okay? I don't know your heart when the plate goes around. But when our heart's right and we're giving to the Lord, man, that's just not something that stays on the plate, not something that just keeps the lights on and, and pays salaries and stuff. That is a sacrifice to the Father. Okay? One other thing I mentioned real quick is Romans 15, 16. Paul would tell us those that we lead to Christ, those that we point to Jesus Christ that trust in Him, that is a spiritual sacrifice unto the Father. So that's just a few. But it's because of who we are in Christ. It's only through that relationship that we have in Christ, that overflow of that relationship, when we do these things that I've mentioned, then those things are spiritual, acceptable sacrifice unto the Father. Okay? And that is what God is doing in our lives. It's a very important ministry that you and I have because uh, it's because it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing I might mention that I think is really important, these things that I'm mentioning in 1 Peter 2 and that I will mention, this, uh, this chosen race, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this people, all of these are plural, okay? They're that way for a reason. All these things are plural, now, I'm not saying that you cannot practice these things as an individual, and you certainly should, but he is saying, listen, we also need to live these things out in community. All right? Man, you know, we are supposed to love our brothers like we love the Lord. And it is in community that we really live out these spiritual sacrifices that I'm talking about. Like this praise. We were singing a while ago, weren't we? That singing supposed to be praising the Lord. Uh, Bonnie was going to sing a special, but her voice was messed up. I wish I could sing like you do with your voice messed up. But anyway, you know. So, But you're singing this morning. I, I don't know how you were singing. You might have just been sitting there doing nothing, or you, and I'm not knowing what's on your mind and your heart, so I'm not judging you, okay? That's not what I'm trying to do this morning. I'm trying to get you to reflect on yourself. When you go through a worship service, how are you participating? See, that is supposed to be a spiritual sacrifice to the Father. You say, I can't sing. Have you ever heard me? Ask my granddaughter, you know? She wishes I'd sit on over there somewhere. But you know what? I still sing because I see that as a part of what God is doing in me. All right? You should also. Our praise is a spiritual sacrifice. This morning, some who are gathered here offered up a spiritual sacrifice to the Father. Some did not. Okay? And it's because of our participation. Did we, did we lift up these words of praise to the Father? And like I said, I'm not judging you. you. You might have been doing that in your thoughts and stuff. I think it says our lips. But, you know, so I'm not, I'm not praising. I'm trying to encourage you, okay? And, and one of the things that's always kind of aided me in, in being in a, in a church, and I guess it's been all the 40 years that I've 
been in the ministry, one of the things that always eats at me is when people say, well, you know, this is just the universal church. You know, we do this in the universal church. And I agree with you, we do have a universal church, but please do not exclude the local church. The local church is part of that universal church. And man, it's in, the uni it's in this local body that we can really get together and practice these things and encourage one another in these things. So we need to remember that we are a royal priesthood. And man, I, we could go on about that, couldn't we? Jesus is our high priest and it's because he is our high priest that man, we have all these privileges we do as the children of God and we can come in the presence of God and we can worship him. Uh, you know, we have a, a doctrine that we talk about as the doctrine of the priesthood, okay? What is that? Do you know? You should know. The doctrine of the priesthood means every one of you who is a believer, you have the right as a child of God to personally go before the Father because you have a mediator in Jesus Christ, okay? What a blessing! What wonder to think that we who are the children of God have the right to enter into the presence of God. Used to only the high priest could. Once a year with the blood of animals. And now because of Jesus, we have this wonderful truth that we are priesthood. And this priesthood is made up of individual priests. And each of us have this this precious, blessed promises of being able to offer up sacrifices and being able to enter into the very presence of our God. Man, that, that's something that gets to me to think of the blessing. Why? Because of that but at the very first. You're not an unbeliever now. You're not a rejecter of Jesus. You're not one who disobeys the word of God. You're one who has trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Man, what, what glory that we have in Jesus Christ. This whole, this whole text uh, that I'm looking at this morning again is about community. Yes, every one of us, we are new people. But God is also making up a new community out of new people. And that's why God don't put up with us not being loving one another. That's why God don't put up with us being at odds with one another. Because we are a community. We are chosen people. What else are we? I'm going to have to move right through here, aren't we? I, it's a holy nation. I'll, I'll try to be quick, okay? He says we are a holy nation. Holy means set apart. We have been set apart. A nation means a people who reside uh, together in community, obeying common laws and striving for the well-being of their society. That's kind of what a nation is. And, and you excuse me, I'm not going to put all these verses up here, but Philippians 3.20 tells us now we have a new citizenship. We are citizens of heaven. We are a nation that is set apart for God, just like God had set apart Israel. And by the way, I'm not saying that God is finished with Israel, so please don't misunderstand me. But I am saying that now we are this chosen race. We are this royal priesthood. We are this holy nation. They failed God. We want to be careful that we do not fail God, but we serve Him as His people. Uh, the last one I will mention here before we move on is we are a people for God's own possession our verse 10 would say, we were not a people, but now we are a people. I doubt if we really get that. I, I doubt if that really rings home with us very much. 
because we have never experienced the idea of we are not a people. Probably every one of us in here, that, uh, you know, we were born Americans, we are Americans, we are citizens in America. Uh, now we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We, have, we really don't identify very well with this idea that we are not a people, but now we are a people. But that's a truth. We were not a people. We, we did not, uh, Ephesians talk about how we were separated, that we did not have any of the blessings or the privileges of the people of God. We were separate, but now we are a people. We are God's very own possession. You know what, just let me say this about this part. We won't cover everything, but what to me is so important about this part is because today in our society where we get our value from. I tell you what, far too many people, and some of you probably sitting in here, you get your personal value from the clothes you wear. If you don't have designer clothes on, you just don't feel like you're one of the gang. Or we get our value from the vehicle we drive, or we get our personal value from the home that we own, or the portfolio that we have. That is the things that we think really give us value in life. And I want to say to you this morning, that is not what gives you value. What gives you value, you are God's own possession. Let that sink in. You are not a people. Now you are a people. You are God's own possession. All of us know what it, knows what it means to possess something, don't we? Well, whoever possesses something gives value to it. Let me put it this way. Any of you guys ever watch Pond Stars? I know. I'm the only one that ever watches it. Okay. And I don't always watch it. But this I do know about Pond Stars. They, two guys can bring in the same pistol from 1920s or whatever and, and, and the guy will look at him and this one will be a really nice pistol and this will be a nice pistol and he'll say do you know where these came from this one will say well my granddaddy had this it laid around in the shed for 20 years and now we want to sell it this guy will say man this is the pistol that Jesse James owned which one do you think is of greatest value you better believe it the one that Jesse James owned who owned it gives it value. And I use that silly illustration to say this. You are God's possession. That is where we get our value. From the fact that God loved us with such a great love. He possesses us. We are His. And man, I don't care what this world gives you or does not give you. That is not where you get your value of who you are, and of your personal worth. You get it from who you are in the eyes of God. You are his personal possession. So now what does this all mean to us now that we are this personal possession? I'm going to skip some and just go down to the end of this, okay? What does it mean to us? Well, in verse 10, it says, You are people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You hear what he says about you? We are these things that God has made us, that he has called us to. And now he says, here's what you need to be about the business of doing. You need to be about the business of proclaiming 
the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. For most of us, it's a lot easier to talk about someone being a sinner and separated from God because of their sin than what it is to talk about God's excellencies. And it's very interesting, if you go back even into the book of Exodus, when they begin to talk about God to a nation that is separated from God, one of the first things they start talking about is the glory of God. They want these people to see how marvelous their God is. And then when they understand how marvelous God is, then they really see and understand, man, this separation from me, from him, you know, the eternal one, the one who loves us so much, the one who has these virtues and the deeds and this power and wisdom and grace and, and everlasting love and this marvelous God, we need to be declaring him, declaring, took us out of darkness and into light. Colossians talks about that. Colossians says that exactly, how God took us out of darkness and took us into light. I remember doing that in a children's message one time. You know, exactly what he did, out of darkness and into light. He gave us life. He took us out of death. He took us out of sin. He, he took us out of desperation. And man, he, he gave us hope. He put us into a kingdom of light. And surely, you know, when we stop and we think about who we are, from what Peter says here, Yes, we are broken people. And I preach that self to myself every morning when I pray. I am a broken person. But you know what? I'm not only a broken person. God redeemed me for a purpose. He redeemed me and he says his truth about who I am. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. I'm part of that. And if you're a child of God, you are part of that. So now, what is important about that? Let me just close with some wandering here. What, what is important about that? Let me say this to you this morning. If you're not a believer, the greatest need in your life is for you to seek God and go to God and tell Him how much you need Him and, and dire need of Him and and in this message, or hopefully through other scriptures, you've really seen God and His glory and His grace and His love. You think, man, I, I want to be a part. I want, I want God, I want to know His love. All right? So if you're not a believer, your greatest need is to trust Jesus Christ. But if you are a believer, and I, I think this is a really important question because I think there's a, a large majority of Christians that really don't know who they are other than they've been saved. Well, I've been saved. I'm going to glory. You know, and that's a wonderful thing, I guarantee you. Wonderful. But what about the passage there? Do you know who you are as you move through life? Well, Peter's just told you a bunch. What's important about that? Well, because it's an understanding whose you are and who you are that you can really live out this life that God has called you to. Let me give you a prime example over in the book of John, I, I don't know the chapter because it just came to my mind earlier, but over in the, the Gospel of John, Jesus is gathered with 12 men, including Judas, 
if I remember correctly. I'm going by memory now. Okay? So he's gathered with these men. What does he do? He takes off his robe and he puts on a towel and he goes around and he washes the dirty feet of these 12 men. Some of us could not do that probably. <laughs> and I said some of us, right? But that's what Jesus, the king of kings, the glory of glories, the lamb of God, the one who is going to pay for our sins, this Jesus went from man to man and washed their dirty feet. I used to think, I'll be honest, I used to think, Lord, I know you're the Lord and I know you can do all things, but that's tough, right? That's tough to do something like that. So I began to research that back when we were studying the Gospel of John. And I noticed two things in the first part of that chapter. One thing, Jesus makes a statement of understanding who he is. He understands who he is. And the second thing he understands is whose he is. And when we understand as Christians who we are and whose we are, then we can live the life that he has called us to. But we will never do that as long as we are self-centered. My world revolves around me. I only want to please me. I don't want to do anything for them, for their good. It's all about me. Never happen. But when you, as a child of God, when you get it nailed down that I am a child of God, the king, I am his child. Whose am I? The God creator, God glory, the God of redemption. That's whose I am. So there's nothing that I really cannot do that God calls me to because I don't get my value from if I wash your feet or not. I get my value from whose I am and I belong to God. So where do you find yourself? I know I, I skipped a lot of those things in there and, and, uh, but, but who, who, do you, who do you know? What do you know about yourself this morning? Christian, what do you really know about yourself? Now, now, if you say, well, I know all those things about me, praise God. Now, are they making a difference in the way you walk your life? Is, is those truths, are they coming out of your life? That you are a chosen race? That you are a priest? A royal priest? That you are a people? that you had not received mercy and now you have received mercy. By the way, if you look in that verse now, it's two times, both times it's emphatic. It says this is a fact. God did this, okay? He made you a people. He showed you mercy. Do you understand those things? Child of God, we are broken and and I remind myself of that a whole, whole lot. But you know what? By the grace of God and only by His grace, I try not to stay in that, that I am broken. I want to live my life today as God's possession. I want to live my life as one of the chosen race, one of the rural priesthood. 
I want to live my life proclaiming the excellencies of him who took me out of light and into dark. Probably won't do that until you know who you are and know whose you are. Let's bow together, shall we? Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I just pray, Lord, that uh, these truths that I've tried to share this morning, that you might use them in our lives. God, I thank you that you do come to us in our brokenness. And, and I know there's a lot of times in my life every day that, that you remind me of your grace. Even when I manage to, to do something to, to exalt you, God, it's to know that your grace is at work within me. Lord, I just pray for your people. Uh, I pray, God, for your people because far too many times I just see your children that, that acting like they're children of this world and they're just bummed out and they're, they're just kind of dragging along. God, they don't even have laughter in their lives. So I pray for your children. God, help us understand who we are in Christ. Help us understand the difference that's supposed to make and that we would exalt you. Help us exalt you in everything we do in our life. Thank you for loving us. It's in the name of Jesus, my Savior, that I pray. Amen.